a couple of uh, further uh, notes. We have some additional copies of some of the papers that we'll be considering, the proposal, as well as the agenda. Uh, they're on the table in the other room if anyone didn't get one. Uh, there's also a compilation uh, of references which uh, uh, in a study that uh, was developed I forget the date, it was something like eight, eight years ago, seven years ago, uh, but this is kind of the results of it, uh, and it amounts to a number of pages of material there, uh, giving the quotations that are used to uh, discuss the idea of judgment, resurre potentially resurrectional judgment, uh, and a survey was made of unamended brethren and of amended brethren, and this survey was done by Brother Don Stiles. Uh, he has compiled the results of that survey, and plus a, some commentary of his own. And it may be of interest to some of you, perhaps some of you will not want it, but it is available, it's also on the back table. Uh, it hasn't got any uh, significance in, in, in this necessarily with our meeting today. We're not going to consider that, but it is there for your, just for background information. <coughs> our meeting on March 14th uh, concluded, as you remember, with a uh, resolution or a, uh, a motion by Brother John Warner to accept the proposal and the implementation procedure as it was presented and the assurances uh, and to have a vote for acceptance of it. There, that was followed by a revision of the motion, I think Brother Duncan revised it, and then there was finally another motion which tabled everything. Uh, Brother John's motion, Brother John with, has now withdrawn his motion, recognizing that there is a need to continue uh, to finalize our discussion on it, and it would be our intent to then continue uh, picking up uh, maybe reviewing a little bit in the area of resurrectional judgment and then continuing into fellowship and implementation, uh, covering that area, and then coming to some final conclusions. Uh, if that's agreeable with everyone, that's what we will intend to do. And then following that, we'll be open to have a, uh, a motion for acceptance or what have you. Okay, if there's no other comments uh, or questions at this point, does anyone have any that they have? I don't know if they're overlooking anything. If not, I'll turn the floor over to Ted and we'll proceed with our consideration. Do all of you have the uh, proposal? Well, I just, so we can get started and get ourselves and our minds back up to if you could look at the responsibility clauses in the proposal, let's just let me just read those through again to familiarize ourselves. If there one someone does not have a proposal, uh, Brother Bobby has a couple of extra in her lap, and there's some out on the table there. Or you just go out on the table there, Walt. What I would like to do is to go through the read, the, read these uh, uh, clauses over in the proposal and then to proceed through a series of other overheads which try to distill the essential issues and also in that context there are the assurances that the amended community has given and the unamended community um, is recommended that we give and that will allow us in sort of if we go through all of these overheads to get the complete overview of this subject. If uh, during this process there are some, um, you're not clear of anything, 
any particular uh, item that's on the overhead, by all means ask questions. Uh, if it will be covered in a later overhead, then I'll try to defer that question to the appropriate time. Responsibility. All men, as God's creation, are responsible to God. By God's grace, some enjoy a privileged position. They are sons of God by faith through Jesus Christ. They are in covenant relationship. They are under discipline and must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, both the just and the unjust, living or dead. Judgment of all others is also the responsibility of Jesus, whom God has appointed judge of the quick and the dead. A major Bible principle covering the liability to condemnation of such is based on the rebellion or disobedience of enlightened men who knowingly reject the counsel and commands of God. Only God knows who among the dead in every age are guilty of disobeying his commands and will require a resurrectional condemnation. We reject the doctrine that God has revealed he does not intend to raise for judgment any unbaptized rejecters of his covenant. We reject the practice of identifying any individual among our unbaptized contemporaries as being certain of appearance at a resurrectional judgment. Now that's the responsibility section as it is in the proposal. And to summarize this in two parts, I believe we all can agree that all men as God's creation are responsible to God. The general premise of the fact that we're created uh, and sustained by Him. Those in covenant relationship alone have hope of resurrection to eternal life. Those in covenant relationship as sons and daughters of God have higher privileges and greater responsibilities for which they must answer before the judgment seat of Christ. And I think we can agree also that judgment of all others in covenant, not in covenant, is also the responsibility of Jesus who has been given power over all flesh. And that's just in terms of the general statement which might find, for example, um, support in 2 Thessalonians 1 where it talks about the Lord Jesus being revealed from heaven in flaming fire taking vengeance upon those that know not God and obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. That might be an example of this. Um, and just as an alternative, other side of this, those not heirs through the covenant have no hope of eternal life. I believe that we can generally and has been agreed in both communities uh, these particular points of teaching. Now the area that of course concerns us today are these areas which this is few of these are slightly different phrasing at the same point. But that first, responsibility towards God begins with an awareness and understanding of God's revealed will, not with baptism. That's one point. Second point, perhaps in question. God holds a person liable to a resurrectional judgment based on his knowledge and understanding of God's revealed will, and keyword, when his circumstances are such as to leave him without excuse. This is um, extremely similar to Brother Robert's um, explanation of uh, what he understood to be Bible teaching on this subject. In fact, this one right here this next one is the phrasing of Brother Roberts. Men responsible to the resurrection of condemnation 
are those who refuse subjection to the will of God when their circumstances are such as to leave them no excuse for such refusal. That's how Brother Roberts phrased it. And finally, only God knows which individuals in every age are guilty of disobeying his commands and will require a resurrectional condemnation. Now just to, again, highlight, these seem to be the areas of which we find agreement. These would be areas where brethren have had disagreement historically within the community. Now let me just leave that uh, impression in your mind at this moment and move on to consider this in the context of the assurances and where problems have arisen in both communities. First, problems have arisen when the teaching that resurrectional responsibility is based entirely on knowledge without any involvement of God or action of God's word in a man's conscience, when that kind of teaching has been pushed, for the unamended it has given offense. We have found this emphasis upon knowledge um, almost to be in disregard of, as if it in itself is some kind of magical lever that creates uh, resurrectional responsibility. Second, a concern that has been in the unamended community has been the misuse of the responsibility teaching based on this idea of knowledge where some and their zeal have declared a Sunday school pupil or friend responsible to resurrectional judgment because they now know enough. So I know you're responsible because you've been taught well by myself. That type of misuse. Or using responsibility teaching as a psychological weapon to force people into accepting the gospel of salvation. Now that's in, in uh, contrast to the force of God's word belief on a man's conscience. Well, that's God's work. But to use the responsibility teaching as, uh, as a weapon to force people and uh, where it resides here, we have found objection to and has raised concern over years in the unamended community. In fact, from the very beginning, uh, I've read something written by Brother Charles Hall, no, not Charles Hall, Albert Hall, in 1907, which mentioned this concern right here as happening. Now, to this end, our unamended brethren have given us some assurances to meet these concerns that we have had about this abuse. And their assurances read that no Sunday school teacher or instructing brother will tell his pupil or friend that he is responsible and will now be raised for punishment. In other words, there's a direct assurance to us that this is not the practice of their brethren. We would not dare, they go on to say, to usurp the prerogative of God by deciding who is or is not deserving of such punishment. We believe it is important to counsel our young people and friends that obedience to God is a matter to be taken very seriously. We acknowledge that it is God who calls and therefore God who will decide whom he will call to account. Truly the judge of all the earth will do right and will be seen to be right in the day when he comes to be glorified in his Son and by all those who believe. Now, I'd like to ask you at this point, um, are there other concerns or does this address what has been perceived to be, the, the, if you like, the misuse. Now this is apart from the whether the doctrine is true or not, but in terms of misuse of responsibility teaching where it has produced concern, would this 
express it? And does this assurance answer it? This is the point that we 
talked about last time. Covenant relationship, and there is an overhead that we'll look at in a minute, but covenant relationship and the hope of eternal life have to be separated. There is no way that a man not related to the Father through new birth well, how do you become covenant and covenant relationship? Faith and baptism. And that pertains to eternal life. Now that's on the one hand. And those that are in covenant relationship, when they are resurrected, as we said, there are higher responsibilities and obligations Men who enter into the Father's house as his children and as his son's servants are in the category of those men and women in Matthew 24 and Matthew 25, where we have very clearly an accounting that they must give of their service. Um, one moment, Walt. Uh, men in, outside of Christ aren't going to be giving an account for their service. Any, any responsibilities that have been entailed upon them because of this relationship uh, to eternal life, it, it, it's immaterial to them. No assessment in that sense is being made. So we need to see that difference between those that are in Christ and those that are not. But on the other side over here, what we're talking about in a sense perhaps is a general principle of, of maybe judgment um, that comprises the issues of God's justice and that a man in covenant relationship doesn't become related to God's justice at that point in time when he's in covenant. This is the point that we're saying. That God's justice and jurisdiction over his creation begins, A, in a very general sense, because they're created. We could say that in a, in, a, in a general sense. And we see this in the prophet Amos, where he talks about his jurisdiction over the nations round about Israel, simply because of their uh, relationship to Israel and what they have done to Israel. But there becomes another principle, and this is the principle that's being articulated in the proposal, uh, in words similar to Brother Roberts. There, there does reach a point of time where men become personally responsible to God, not because they have now committed themselves to a relationship, but because there is a, a recognition that God is making a claim upon them to respond. You know, Brother Roberts said it would be inappropriate that they should be at the judgment seat of Christ. Yeah, you're not the constituent of the household. Yes. Now, to that end, this is just a wall. I'll get your questions. You've got to. I know. Let me just throw something up on the overhead here. This is a little premature, um, but it's, it's worth seeing at this time. We'll come back to it later in its proper context. But our amended brethren have been willing to add to their assurances uh, this phrase here. Whether or not resurrectional judgment of unbaptized rebels will occur at the same time and place as the household of faith is not believed by us to be a first principle. So it's, you know, their way of, of phrasing that the God's dealings with um, people, and we, you know, if I put that down to where we have understanding um, in, oh, I'll call it, this is, don't make me a fender for word here. Where did you get that last paragraph? That last paragraph right here yeah. is something our brethren have offered to meet this concern. These, these brethren right here. Yeah, how about CMPA? Yeah, my question we've had. Yes, yes, please. Well, is there anything in this proposal or in the letters of assurance that states that the unbaptized and baptized, there will be 
what brethren are addressing. Now the amended, unamended are very concerned about the whole issue of covenant relationship being diluted to the point where it becomes meaningless whether you are or are not baptized. Well, you know, that's a legitimate concern because of things that we've heard. The unamended, amended rather, have an equal weight of concern that we're diminishing the, if you like, the jurisdiction of God over all his creation and a, a basic principle that brings personal responsibility to God and therefore the liability of resurrectional condemnation when God says, I've done everything I can and you haven't responded. Now, in that, because of that kind of difference of, of our emphasis, we tend to misunderstand uh, and, and almost go too far in the things that we stated. So, here is a, let me just attempt it this way. If we look at the similarities uh, and differences between the judgment of the baptized and the unbaptized, we have on the one hand that knowledge and understanding of God's revealed will is an essential element in the judgment of both. Now this is assuming this principle, just assume this principle being true for the moment. Then when you're looking at the judgment of these two groups, not necessarily together, but just uh, the resurrectional judgment, knowledge and understanding is evidenced in both groups both enlightened sinners and disobedient saints, to use Brother Thomas's terms, will be condemned for their refusal to obey God's commands. Only the baptized are raised with the prospect of life. The purpose of their judgment is to separate true heirs and servants from those who claim to be true. And what's the point? I mean, the major point, I can't say this is the only purpose, obviously, but a major purpose is to demonstrate, to manifest sheep from goats, the true servant, the faithful servant from the evil servant. The unbaptized are not raised for judgment, essentially, but for condemnation. Their response to the light of God's ways has already been manifest, uh, has already manifest their true nature. Now, <coughs> Brethren from the amended community look at the similarities between the two. The idea, quoting from Romans 2, that um, those who disobey the truth would be the subjects of God's wrath. Whereas we focus upon this difference between the two groups to such a point that because of our reaction to you know, diminishing things here, we almost eliminate this, and in some cases do eliminate. So I believe that in the proposal, we have, and if I could um, beg your patience, um, just read to you, this is more assurances along this line, for those of you looking at the proposal, uh, this is the at the assurances. This is the sort of last, uh, I guess, almost the third from the last paragraph in the assurances. Now, once again, Brother Ken and Brother Jim and, and their committee have recommended some additions to this to help us. So, reading that and the additions, we have this. We are sensitive to your concerns about the BUSF. We do not wish in any way to undermine the validity of the BUSF, which was the original statement of the community before the controversy. Our concern has not centered around the correctness of our early community's original statement, but around an aggressive teaching that went too far. The intent of the amendment was to deal with this teaching. 
It was not intended that the amendment should take away from the importance of our covenant relationship, which must exist before there can be any hope of resurrection to eternal life. Nor was it meant to stress knowledge of, of God's word as being all important, independent of understanding and belief. We are sorry these misunderstandings have developed and became a source of grief to you. It is our prayer that the proposal lays to rest this historic concern without the provocation felt in the past. And one additional paragraph that they have added, I bracketed the additions. Difficulties in differentiating between a principle and the application of a principle have caused controversy in the Brotherhood throughout our past. Brother Roberts wrote an article entitled True Principles and Uncertain Details that deals with this kind of problem in general and under the subheading responsibility he addresses a specific issue with which we are concerned. We wish to assure you that our understanding of this subject is consistent with this article. I believe that the reason we referenced the article is because it was such a fair uh, presentation of the positive as well as the uncertainties that are inherent, as he says, in this discussion. Brother Ed? Why does the penalty amended admit to having caused the split, the disfellowship situation, by mating? Uh, the enlightened rejecter of Pierce the Gentle Seed of Christ, then they would uh, uh, get rid of the fears that the unamended have. Uh, that was the cause of the split. You remember that, that uh, Brother Williams said that uh, he uh, was willing to fellowship anyone who uh, was doubtful about this appearance, but when they can, when they uh, put the uh, those unbaptized, those who weren't part of the household, at the same judgment seat with the household, then he considered that <coughs> something that was not acceptable. And that was also the uh, belief of J.J. Andrews. J.J. Andrews then made a, a literal. Uh, uh, from what I can read, uh, at this late date, uh, they maligned him and, and uh, uh, put him uh, in a place he shouldn't be. Uh, I think that, that uh, if they would uh, admit that they made that they don't hold to that that thing that uh, caused the split. They want to believe in, in the enlightened rejection of being judged and raised to judgment. It would be all right, but to put him with the house with, with the household. Okay. Uh, then, then I think that they would uh, they would uh, uh, delay the fears of the unmarried. Uh, uh, and if if that is the case which they seem to be admitting here, to be, uh, be saying here, then uh, uh, why are you uh, making this a regional reunion without the uh, those unamended brethren, including our uh, dear brother Ray, who sleeps in Jesus, after putting in 11 years of negotiations, why are you excluding uh, all of those who did this or through that exercise uh, from this reunion effort? Why, why, why confine it to, to a region? That question, a fair question, is, is one to be um, asked and discussed when we come to fellowship and implementation. That's a valid question, and we do need to address that. But coming back to the first question, which is an appropriate place to look at this other overhead, mm -hmm. there is a... Yes, go ahead. Well, Paul. I think, sorry, you know, 
We listened to two hours of dialogue and monologue at the last meeting, and now we're talking about Andrews and Williams and these are way back when we're, we're discussing this present proposal at this time. I don't think that we can bring back these past controversies way in the back of what somebody else said. It's what we're saying right now and what we're going to do right now with this proposal we should be discussing. That's a fair comment, but these concerns um, are carried and are held by brethren presently. Uh, not just concerns. I mean, if you knew how often we've been reinventing the wheel on this whole thing, it makes it sad and sick and disgusting. But the concerns that Brother Ed are raising are concerns in the unamended community, and I think they can be addressed. And at this point, I'd like to try to do that. Brother Ray? I, I, could, I don't want to be consuming time either, but there well, there are concerns, and it may be history, but it's also alive today. Uh, if there can only be an assurance, and tell you the words less, from the amended community, that there are, it's a different basis, that there is the judgment seat of Christ which concerns the household. And that anyone else is liable, but it's not that basis. Until you make that distinction, you'll never have you living. Let me address okay, that point uh, as well as this other point of Ed. Alright? I, I think that yes. the idea of different bases. Yes, Marco? It's very possible for God to take someone who's in covenant relationship because of their uh, their life, the way they've lived it, lived it. Um, for God to say, okay, you live the life as if you are one of these people outside of the household, therefore I'm going to judge you on that basis. So, for you to, you know, insist that the basis be different, uh, God can change the basis based upon the man's behavior. Because he's done that before. He, he said to Pharaoh, you know, because of the hardness of your heart, you know, this is the way you're going to go. So your heart's going to be hard, and that's the way you're going to have that Pharaoh was not a covenant relationship. Now, regardless of whether he was or wasn't, I'm just simply saying is, when God deals justice or judgment upon people, it's based upon what they do. Yes, that's okay. So, and, and so because Pharaoh's heart was, was uh, you know, stubborn, or, you know, it, then God said, okay, that's where you're going to be. That's your judgment. You're going to be stubborn from now on. And that's what happened. That's not a fair reference. That's not. Keep your heart. Heart is heart. Heart is heart. Well, all I'm saying is, it's very possible for God to take a man who's, who's, who's been baptized and yet who's lived a life as if he never was baptized. And for God to say, that's the way you chose to live it, this is the basis upon which I'm going to judge you. That's all I'm saying. I think what we'll find, brethren, in this discussion, uh, scripturally looking at it, that with God, he acts according to who he is. He doesn't act, um, and this is apart from its controversial usage of these terms, Please pardon that. But he, I do not believe that God acts incidentally or arbitrarily. He is who he is, and he acts according to that, and his relationships with the sons of men is premised upon whom he is. As such, his justice in dealing with the wicked is based upon very set principles. He, we need, and principles which are revealed in Scripture. And we need to know these principles because they're fundamental to our relationship, right relationship with him, as well as, you know, the, the issues of, of that sonship and, and how we, we can become related to that very intimate relationship where his compassion, his kindness, but especially his mercy and his faithfulness are manifest towards us. Because mercy and faithfulness are the issues of sonship. Now, let me come back to Ed's specific question. Uh, I would <coughs> simply say that there would be uh, a difference of understanding as to what caused the split. 
And our Lord Jesus Christ will have a third explanation when we stand before him. And I doubt if any of the protagonists, antagonists, and whatever kind of antagonists, when we stand before him, uh, we will all be, I think, humbled by what he has to tell us of the real reason. But from the amended point of view, and where they have concerns, about what Brother Andrew taught at that time in the 1890s. In the 1870s, he, Brother, Rock, Brother, uh, excuse me, Brother Andrew is on record, incidentally, as believing and writing about this principle of God's just judgment of unbaptized, unenlightened, uh, of enlightened men. He believed that principle originally. But there came a time uh, for whatever the reason. I don't even want to get into his name. I'm really just concerned about the issues here. And the issue are, if the concern the amended are that the teaching that we inherit from Adam, just to go over this again, the sentence of an eternal death sleep which cannot be interrupted unless the sentence is removed by association with the sacrifice of Christ. This idea that you, you need to be in covenant to get out of the grave Alright. As opposed to relate to eternal life. Let me go through this first. Go on what you were saying about Brother Andrew. Uh, you, you imply that, uh, well, there's some things here that uh, are secret that uh, I can't uh, relate to. Oh, no, I didn't mean that. I, well, I, I know you didn't mean to. I didn't want to be demeaning to Brother Andrew. No, but don't be demeaning to us. Okay. Because that's been the, the case with the uh, with the committees that have uh, uh, tried to negotiate reunion over the years. Well, how how's uh, how's reunion uh, coming? Well, we don't let's not say anything now because we don't want to upset the apple. Okay. Because what you were saying about Brother Andrews is really a very important principle of his development. Okay. Also, translation in his development. Uh, brother, brother Williams, I, I, again, Brother Williams will have to answer for the development of his thought, but there is con some concern as to where he historically came from, and, well, no, Brother Williams, uh, all right, I should go back to Brother Williams, Brother Williams, I was just making a side comment, Brother Williams comes from a background where, a Calvinistic background, and brethren have become concerned were at that time that in fact that religious teaching that he had as a boy uh, was becoming the basis of his exposition of scripture. Well, who knows? Right? But what we do know about Brother Andrew, to complete the statement to you, Ed, is that Brother Andrew back in the 1870s wrote about resurrection responsibility being based on enlightenment. In the 1890s, all I know is that he now said the resurrection was based entirely upon one being related to the blood of Christ. And that in fact God had revealed that only the baptized would be brought out of the grave based on this principle. Now, that was a change in his belief. That's all I was alluding to. But, uh, to go on, uh, Brother Thomas thinking his evolution of thinking uh, was uh, is uh, much as that of J.J. Andrews. J.J. Andrews said the reason that uh, that Dr. Thomas didn't see as he did was that he didn't fall into his logical conclusion, the principles that he taught us regarding the constitution of the that was the assertion of Brother Andrew. That is true. Uh, brethren have disputed whether Brother Andrew understood what Brother Rob, what Brother Thomas said um, in Elpis Israel, Eureka, Anastasis, for example, where he clearly, clearly articulates his belief and clearly rejects as a basis of. But then in Eureka, at the end of the last uh, of the book, comes back to the, the thing that we're concerned here with, 
to, to make a, a couple of, of quick uh, uh, observations there. <clears throat> he talks about uh, after convincing everyone that uh, both Jew and Gentile were under condemnation of their sin and that uh, they had through Christ uh, changed their constitution from sin to uh, the constitution of righteousness and he said uh, uh, that you're saved by grace it's a gift of God it's not something that you've done no personal uh, accomplishment and uh, he asked the hypothetical question shall we sin then grace may abound will we give God more pleasure well, are you so ignorant that you don't know that uh, uh, by being baptized into Christ you've been baptized into his death and then he, he goes on and he talks about the fact that, that, that Christ being, uh, being dead now to sin sin has no more dominion over him and so the baptized believer being dead by virtue of his baptism death has no more dominion over him uh, Brother Ed, he's I, talk, he's talking, I think we, we're, 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 we're well, running short of time. We're the Apostle Paul here, aren't we? Yeah, but well, my point is this, that... that uh, Since when is it, is it uh, among Christadelphians, uh, a thing where they cannot listen to the uh, words of the Apostle Paul, that they would rather see a few phrases printed up on on the on a screen and be led in their thinking rather than to lead to let the Apostle Paul lead them in their thinking. That, no, we'd all rather be led by the Apostle Paul, if uh, goes without question. But the point is that our, our purpose of meeting today is to come to a conclusion on a, a proposal uh, no understanding that all of us have to whatever degree we have have considered these arguments we've weighed them in our minds we've thought about them we've talked about them together and we've talked about them with you before we spent in fact a good part of our meeting last time talking with you about that and that's fair that's, that's good to do that but I think we have to considering the hundreds of miles that we have all come here together to join together to reach a conclusion as to what we're going to do do with this proposal, we ought to zero in and, and come down to a point where we, we make some uh, decisions. And it, that, that, is, that is the purpose of our being here. If we decide to, to scrap it, that's well, fine, but at least we've reached a conclusion. Well, Bob, then why don't you just let us vote on it the way it is? We've all read it. Now, you've spent uh, hours and hours with, uh, with these brethren down there. You, uh, apparently, it's your own appointment. I didn't. I had nothing to do with, with your appointment as a committee. You spent hours and hours with the amendment on this thing, yeah. and and with the CMPA who not only uh, talked with the uh, amendment on this thing, but yeah. but yourselves. You spent hours with them, and then you come here, and uh, a, a, a simple, uh, humble. I don't say I'm probably not very humble. But uh, I'm not as uh, probably as well educated as you, and and uh, uh, certainly not in, in uh, 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 the colleges. But uh, uh, you're not giving me a chance to voice my opinion and the reasons for my opinion. You're not giving me the time, and and uh, 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 so. I don't see I don't see the fairness of it. I don't see, well, see okay, the fairness in you interrupting me when I was appealing to the words the words of the Apostle Paul. Well, the the, dip, the, the, the difficulty is is that we have a limited space of time. Well, then, today. then just go and and just take a vote on it right now. Everybody knows it. They know what the proposal is. Can you then summarize I'm your point? point over this? Well, summarize my point. Yeah, can you? Can I, you I, I've been I've, I tried to give you a, a number of points here. To, uh, here, you have to take uh, uh, this this board here and and uh, spend a long time in bringing your points to focus to to move my mind in your direction. 
And yet you won't let me use the, uh, the time of, of the, and, and the words of the Apostle Paul to, to move you in, in my direction or the reason why I'm thinking the way I'm thinking. Brother Ed, that you took half of your time in the last meeting and you've taken a good part of it in this meeting. Well, I, I think that I, well, how much time has, has, a, has probably the floor as well as that. Okay, Brother, how, how much time would you like to present your uh, point uh, and, and let's at least agree on some kind of framework of time so we know where, where we're at and what what can be accomplished well uh, uh, well what is fair tell me what is fair local classes on before we consume all this mileage of time you're talking about, we, we presume too much. Well, we, need to we have urged, we have, okay, that, that has been suggested and we have.